Good morning. I'm Derek, and it is week two of our teaching series that we're going through called Crazy Busy. And uh, I was thinking about this after we launched the series last Sunday. Uh, I wondered if there was a few of you that maybe left last Sunday going, my pastor is so crazy busy, it was nonsense last week. Mike's, my pastor is so crazy busy that he was confused, I think, and he confused us. <laughs> I don't know. I hope that wasn't the case. But here's why I say that. Because last Sunday, in the same teaching message, uh, I said something along the lines of, life is busy, right? This is the water we swim in. This is maybe just a fact of life. And I said something along the lines of, that some of our busyness, some of the things that we're doing are even from the Lord, from God. So, so there's, there's, there must be good things about our busyness. And yet in the, same, uh, in the same few minutes, I said something along the lines of, there are dangers of being crazy busy. And I even said, busyness, kill it or it will kill you. Really helpful last week, right? Which one is it? For Pete's sakes, Pastor Derek, is busyness good or bad? Uh, how do we continue to live in this, in this busy world that we, that we live in? And so the thing we went on to say last week is, okay, well, what is that one thing? How do we live in the midst of our crazy busyness? What is that one thing? And last week we looked in Luke 10 and considered the story of Mary and Martha. And uh, we looked at this verse and, and, and considered uh, and wanted to reflect ourselves and say, instead of being anxious and troubled, with many things, what is that one good thing we must do? And the good portion, the one thing that Mary chose, the one thing that we too can choose is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be connected with our great God. And so that's where we started our crazy busy series. And, and today, I asked this question last week, but today, and, and I'm going to ask this again, and I'm going to have this kind of start our time together this morning I'm going to start this morning by asking that question again. We're busy, but are we busy with the wrong things? We, we, most of us relate to being that feeling of, of being crazy busy, but are we busy with the wrong things? And so as we navigate this water we swim in, this culture we live in, this life that we live of crazy busyness, uh, we're going to look to the life of Jesus today, and we're going to see, was Jesus busy? Does he relate to our busyness, and, and how does he navigate life? How does he spend his time? So open your Bible, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 1. And in a moment, we'll start at verse 21. So pull out your Bible. Love you to bring your Bibles with you. If you need one, if you don't own one, if we can give you one, you can ask at the connection desk in the lobby. We'd love to give you one. Uh, or open up your device, uh, your phone or whatever, and, and open up your Bible app and Let's get to Mark chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 21 in a moment. Father God, as always, we come before you now, and we, we lift our eyes to you. We look to your word for you to teach us, for you to give us a, a moment of pause in the midst of our busyness, for you to give us time to consider how we can honor you in all we do and say. Speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 21, and uh, we'll, we'll, look, we'll read several verses here together. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the other scribes or the teachers. So what's one of the things that Jesus is busy doing? He's teaching, and he's teaching with authority, and it's being noticed. Look, look at verse 27 now. And they were all amazed at his teaching, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the region of Galilee. What is Jesus doing in his life on earth, in his brief ministry on earth? Teaching with authority. And now we see that he's casting out demons. That evil spirits have, have no power in his presence. Now verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told Jesus about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Teaching, casting out demons, healing illnesses. We, we talked a couple weeks ago, raising the dead back to life. This is what Jesus is busy with, verse 32. Oh, and because of all this activity, because of this authority, because of, of the path that he is paving through life, he's becoming popular. People want to be around. People want to see and hear and touch and experience. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And look at verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. A moment ago, I asked us to consider again the question, if we're busy, but are we busy with the wrong things? And, uh, and so now we've, we've looked at the life of Jesus. Is Jesus busy? Sure. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll get a good idea of what Jesus had on his plate. So yes, Jesus is busy. I, I think absolutely he re relates to you and I and, and, and the pressures and the, and the demands on our time and the, the many causes that we could devote time to. But was he busy with the wrong things? No. Was Jesus busy? Yes. Was he busy with the wrong things? No. He's God. He is the God-man, fully God and fully man. He is without sin. His busyness was in good things, his busyness never caused him to sin, so therefore he is not busy with the wrong things. He might have been busy, but he was never off track. And all of his busyness then seems to be devoted, would you say, to good things? Yeah. So on one hand, you and I, as we evaluate our life and our crazy busyness, on one hand, we need to cling to good things. We need to fight off waste of time, pointless Unnecessary tasks. We need to cling to joy. We need to cling to good things. Uh, and we need to work in that way. But as followers of Jesus, there are also many, many, many good things, many good things that we could be, many good things that we could be doing, aren't there? So this is, so what's going on with this? I want you to take a minute, and I want to take a moment and think this over with me. What are some good things that come to your mind? 
What are are some biblical, God-given, God-ordained? What are some causes that are close to God's heart? What are things that you experience in your life, in your world, that you look around the globe and that you see? What are some things that come to mind that are good causes, that are close to God's heart, that are things that that that, that in doing we would honor him? Yeah, okay, being with people. Working with kids, serving in the church. What's that? Poverty, looking for the needs around us and meeting them, right? I mean, are these kinds of things coming to mind that, that you're faced with and that, that God could be calling you to do, right? There's always, there's always uh, the opportunity to pray more, volunteer more, serve more, give more. You could always share your faith more. You could always show more hospitality. You could always read your Bible more. We could always make sure that more villages in Africa have clean water, Right? We could always get, hop on a plane and go do hurricane relief. We probably should go on a mission trip. What about those orphans? What are we gonna, how are we going to support widows? What about these other on the fringe of society, the homeless and the refugee? Maybe I should probably be taking some meals to somebody in my church family. And you thought of more. And you thought of more, right? Back to the word, verse 35. <laughs> Stress levels rising just as we talk, right? Okay, catch our breath, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Wait, back up. What was Jesus doing? Where did he go? Off to a desolate place, probably for at least one of his purposes of going to a desolate place was to what? Get away. He went there and he prayed. We'll come back to this part. Verse 36, and Simon and those with him, Jesus' other friends, the disciples, searched for Jesus. And they found him in his desolate place where he had gone to get away. And they said to him, hey, everyone is looking for you. Remember how the whole town, we just read a minute ago, the whole town lined up outside his door? He's teaching, he's healing, he's casting out demons, he's raising the dead back to life. He's become very popular. People want to be around him. There's things to do. Now his disciples are saying, everyone is looking for you. What if you're put in that situation? What if if the people are coming to you with the comment, everyone is looking for you? How do we sometimes respond how do we sometimes respond to this? We, we might go hide. <laughs> we might go hide. We might say back off. But are there some among us or are there all of us who at least at some times would go, okay, would feel obligation, would feel guilt, would think these are good things. I probably should be doing them. These are good causes. These are things that are close to God's heart. I probably should be doing them. The people pleaser in me. Everyone's looking for you. We could be manipulated by the tyranny of the urgent. We could be manipulated by our people pleasing. We could be tortured by just what's right in front of us and the opportunity we have right in this moment, the need that just popped up, the thing that just came to our mind, that the person that just brought something up. How do we get out from under? The terror of total obligation. This is something I'm grabbing 
we've mentioned that we're using this resource uh, book called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung as just an outline of some of the topics that we're going to cover. And of course, most importantly, we're going to look in God's word each and every Sunday and ask for God to give us his wisdom about our crazy busyness. But I am pulling a little bit from, from DeYoung's book here on how to get out from underneath the terror of total obligation. All those good things, remember, that we rattled off? All those good things that God could have you be doing and, and that potential for us to feel obligated or for us to people please and think we have to do it all, how do we get out from under that? Here's a few of things that DeYoung lists. First of all, so let's remember, I am not the Christ. There's a savior of the world and you're not him. And me, neither am I. And praise God, right? Do we try to do it all? Do we try to solve our own problems? Do we bear the bur- every burden of everyone around us as we encounter things? You are not Jesus. Number two, there is good news. Sometimes when we think of all these, these uh these needs out there, these causes, these things that are near to God's heart, when we rattle off that list that we rattled off a few minutes ago of what we could be involved in, it can be very overwhelming, it can be very depressing because a lot of the needs come from sad and hurtful and broken things in our lives and in this world, right? But there's good news. We've got to keep in mind that there's good news because in the midst of that overwhelm at at all the needs and the causes around us, we can remember that the gospel of Jesus is good news of great joy. And that's what we have an opportunity to bring to the midst. Number three, care is not the same as do. Care is not the same as do. John Piper in a conference once said, we should all, we should all care about suffering, especially eternal suffering. So far, so good? We should all care John Piper said, about suffering, especially those who are headed toward eternal suffering. But notice he didn't say do. He said we should all care. He didn't say we should all do something. Many things should get our attention. There are many things around us that should, that should bring about a, a response of compassion or prayer. We should all care. But does that mean that each of us individually has to do something specific in reaction to that need? No. Use the example of sex slavery. The fact that there are people enslaved around the world in various capacities, caring is not an option. We must care about that. But not directly doing something is an option for you, follower of Jesus. Number four, we have different callings. I'm going to read just briefly from DeYoung. Every Christian must be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. But not everyone will do beach evangelism. Every Christian should be involved in the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? Jesus' command to make disciples, to go and make disciples. So it says every Christian should be involved in the Great Commission, but not everyone will move to Papua New Guinea. Every Christian should oppose abortion. 
but not everyone will adopt or volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. We need followers of Jesus in this area. We need followers of Jesus to follow this passion. We need some followers of Jesus to go and serve in this area. Are you with me? It doesn't mean that we all respond to everything because we have different callings. Number five, remember the church. I think that's what number one. Remember the church is just a reminder that all of these needs, all of these good things, all of these things that are calling for our crazy busyness, they're not all on you. They're not all on just me because we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the church family. I guarantee you our church family can respond way better to way more things than just I can. Right? And then, you know what's even better news than that? Faith Church is one local church of a global body of Jesus, of followers of Jesus everywhere. The needs that God wants to meet, the good news that God wants to proclaim, he can go through you, he can go through us, he can go through us. Remember the church. The next one is I can always pray right now. This has been, I can always pray right now. This has been really helpful for me as a pastor. Do you know how many times I get asked to pray about something? How frequently and how much potential for guilt there would be? If I let you down, but I can always pray right now. When you share it, I can pray. When I hear it, I can pray. When we, when we receive your connection card, one of our staff people gets it and prays for you when you fill those out. Um, instead of letting prayer requests, and this might be something that would help you, instead of letting prayer requests pile up or burden you and think there's no way I can remember this all, there's no, so many people that I care about that I want to pray for, instead of letting it overwhelm you, be okay with praying right now, praying when it comes to mind, praying when you hear it, and moving on. It's okay. And the last one we want to mention here is Jesus didn't do it all. Jesus himself didn't do it all. Wait, what? If anybody, don't you think if there was anybody ever who was capable of being crazy busy and doing it all, wasn't it him? I would have thought. Fully God, fully man. If there, had anybody, if there had ever been anybody that walked this earth that was capable of doing it all, Jesus certainly seems like he would have been. And yet, Jesus himself doesn't do it all. Back to your, back to your Bibles, verse 36. And Simon said, of those, uh, and those who were with him searched for Jesus, and they found him, and they said to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Verse 38, and Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next town. <laughs> that is not what you were expecting, is it? The whole town is lined up at the door. He's teaching with authority. He's casting out demons. He's healing illnesses. Everybody's hearing about it. Everybody's lining up at the door. In verse 38, they come looking for him. Hey, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also. And then what does it say? For that is why I came. Our example, Jesus himself, the master, the Lord and rescuer, Jesus himself was busy, but he didn't do it all. He didn't try to accomplish everything. Jesus didn't meet every need. He left people waiting in line to be healed. He left one town to preach to another. He hid away to pray. 
He got tired. He never interacted with the vast majority of the people on the planet. He spent 30 years in training and only three years in ministry. He did not try to do it all. And yet he did everything that God asked him to do. There's the difference, right? That's what we're kind of after this morning. You catch that? He did not try to do it all, and yet he did everything that God asked him to do. I want to look at, uh, on the screen at Luke 4. It's a similar situation. And the people sought after Jesus and came to him, and, and they would have kept him from leaving them. The crowd was such, and the desires were such, and the potential crazy busyness for Jesus was such that they, they, would, have, they would have prevented him from leaving. But Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Incredible. Jesus was busy, but he never lost track of the mission. There were many possible paths or things that he could have put on his plate, and yet he stuck to his purpose. Jesus was indeed busy, but only with what he was supposed to be doing. Jesus prioritized purpose. Jesus prioritized purpose. How do we then stay on track? How do we then learn to have priorities? Well, last week we started with the one thing we must do, the, the sitting at the feet of Jesus, that, that our lives must be centered as followers of Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet, connecting with God. The, there are many things that we can be troubled and anxious about, but there is one thing we must do. But what, but what else after that? That's where we started last Sunday is the critical importance of connecting with Jesus, of following God, of sitting at his feet, of learning from him. That's the one thing. But, but what about after that? What, what about the rest of our hours each week? And what about what's on our plate? And how do we choose what we do and what we don't do? If Jesus had to prioritize, guess what? So do we. If Jesus himself had to prioritize, then so do we. And so what is your... God-given mission? What has God made you to do? What has God made you to do? He has made you and loves you and wired you and built you just the way you are for his specific purposes. And there's a unique purpose that he has for you. What is it that God is calling you to do? What has he made you uniquely to do? And then, and then what doesn't make the cut? I love asking that question. I got a lot on my to-do list. I got a lot on my plate. I got a lot of priorities. But I love making a not-do list. Because that doesn't make the cut. Again, from Crazy Busy by DeYoung. Uh, these are on the screen. I must set priorities because I can't do it all. We are not Jesus. We've already talked about this, right? Jesus is Jesus. And he didn't do it all. And we're not Jesus. So we must set priorities because we can't do it all. And for me, it looks like being a follower of Jesus, loving and serving my family, being the husband and the dad that God is asking me to be, and, and then lead, and lead this church family and teach the Bible. Those are the top of my priority list. And, and I just mentioned that that not-do list is, is just as important as my to-do list. What has God made me to do what has he called me to do? How can I best honor and serve him as I do that? And some things get put on my not-do list. And you know what happens when some things go on my not-do list? This is where I have the potential to disappoint and let you down. This is where there's potential for you to feel 
disappointed in me or let down. Because here's the second thing we want to look at on the screen. I must set priorities. These are true for you and I as well. I must set priorities if I am to serve others most effectively. This is, this is DeYoung writing, but this is DeYoung writing, but definitely could speak for, for the situations I find myself in. If I respond to every email, and, and, how, and how is this true for you as well? I'm reading it, it's a pastor writing it, it, I relate to it, but what I'm asking all of us to do here is we must set priorities because that's how we're going to serve others most effectively. So what is, the, what is the, your example of this? If I respond to every email, if I show up at every possible meeting, and if I have coffee with every person asking for just a few minutes, I won't have time to adequately prepare for my sermon. I may help several people during the week, but I won't faithfully serve the many more who come on Sunday. If I attend every possible church function, I won't be there for my son's basketball game. Stewarding my time is not about selfishly pursuing only the things I like to do. It's about effectively serving others in the way that I'm best able to serve and in the ways I am most uniquely called to serve. I must, I must have priorities so that I can serve others most effectively, and, and so must you. If we're dominated by the tyranny of the urgent, if we allow crazy ourselves to be overrun by crazy busyness, there, there won't be priority, there won't be ability to serve others, there won't be ability to glorify God. And the last one is, I must allow others to set their own priorities. Ooh, this is tough. I must allow other people to set their own priorities. What would we prefer to do? We'd rather put our priorities on them. The things that are important to us must be important to everybody else. And the things that I would like to see you doing must be the best use of your time. <laughs> if we're not careful, right? It's not enough to set priorities ourselves if we don't respect that other people must be setting priorities as well. Here's where we can help each other immensely. Don't always expect the lunch request to work out. Don't get upset when your email doesn't get answered. When your email, hey, what do you think about such and such, doesn't get answered. Don't be offended if your need doesn't go to the top of the pile for someone else. Understand, here's a good one, ready? Understand that when people say often, understand that often when people say, I'm busy, what might that translate to? What might be too uncomfortable for them to actually say out loud? Understand that people often say, I'm busy because saying, I have many priorities in my life and right now, you are not one of them. <laughs> that would be too painful. So appropriately, we answer, I'm busy. But, but, but then if we hear that I'm busy, we've got to allow them to set their own priorities, right? Don't think it rude if some people have less availability for you than you have for them. And don't begrudge people the time that you are so desperately fighting for. Unless we're God, none of us deserve to be the priority for everyone else all the time. Jesus, so, we, so with those things in mind, with the idea that we need to prioritize that we need to figure out what our mission is, that we need to follow God and do what, we, what he's calling us to do, we want to look to Jesus' example. Jesus prioritized his purpose. We saw that in the scripture just a moment ago, that he knew the difference 
between urgent and important. Jesus didn't allow the tyranny of the urgent, the town lined up outside his door, to take away from what God had called him to do. He understood that all the good things he could do were not necessarily the things he ought to do. And we can follow that example. Do we, do you and I, prioritize our purpose? Do we prioritize the mission that God has called us to join him on? God's mission to the world is, to, is that God's love would be known to people everywhere. God's mission to the world is that the gospel of Jesus would be proclaimed to every tongue, tribe, nation, every people group around the globe. And there is a God-given mission for you and I in there. And do we prioritize that mission? Do we prioritize the purpose that he has made you and I uniquely to do? Or do we succumb to the tyranny of the urgent? What is God calling you to? And how do we stick to that mission? How are we going to figure it out? How are we going to figure it out what God is calling us to? And how are we going to stick to that mission? Let's follow Jesus' example. Look back with me in the Bible at verse 35 again. We passed this over earlier. and We're going to look at it again briefly now. Verse 35. And rising very early, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. I mentioned that each sermon in this series, we wanted to encourage you to consider adding a new spiritual discipline to your life of following Jesus. Spiritual discipline is just a term for a tool that helps you connect with God. This is not a way to earn more brownie points with God. Doing these spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible, prayer, solitude, going to church, being with other believers, these are spiritual tools. These are helps to sit at the feet of Jesus and get to know him more and hear from him and follow him. This is not how you earn points. It's not how you earn your salvation. It doesn't, it doesn't make God love you more. He already loves you tons. And he wants you to sit at his feet and learn from him. And so we're going to encourage each Sunday, we're going to encourage these, we're going to mention a, a spiritual discipline or two. And I'm going to encourage you that over the course of these few weeks, listen for one that you would like to add to your daily rhythm. Notice I said don't add them. I just said add one. Don't try to add them all. And the ones I want to mention today are what Jesus just modeled for us in verse 35. He went to a desolate place. We'll call that solitude. Finding solitude. Getting away from people. Getting away from distraction. So that you can sit at the feet of Jesus. That's the spiritual discipline of solitude. And, and in verse 35 tells us as Jesus models this. That he found this solitude and there he did what? Prayed. So another spiritual discipline, of course, would be prayer. Learning to pray. Learning to talk to God. Learning that you don't need fancy language or, or a Bible education to go quietly and sit before your great God and talk to him. And he hears you. And there's lots of resources. I could point you to some resources or books or search online for the spiritual discipline of prayer. And that you'll find ideas and ways that you can try prayer in a new way. If that's been hard for you, like it's been hard for me, how you can uh, be, grow in your commitment to prayer. And I want to look to the example of Jesus one more time here as we close. I want us to consider, listen to this. I want us to consider with thankfulness the example that Jesus set Setting aside his own comfort, his own preferences, his own desires to fulfill the mission that God gave him. 
I want to look upon how he did that and I want to see that and I want to rejoice with thankfulness this morning. And what I mean is I want to take us to the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion, the night before Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to die so that you and I might live. The night before Jesus went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed this to the Father, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. So God, you know what? All things are possible for you. So you know what I want to pray? Remove this cup from me. Which is Jesus going, you know what? Tomorrow sounds awful. Tomorrow sounds hard. I I want to do what you want, God. But that, can you take that away? Can we save these people some other way? Remove this cup from me, Jesus prays, honestly. God's plan For our salvation, God's plan for your salvation and mine involved Jesus taking our sins upon himself. God's rescue plan involved God's wrath against sin being poured out on Jesus in our place. That was God's rescue plan. And you know what? Of all the things that were on Jesus' plate, that wasn't really at the top of of the list for him. That was not one he was super thrilled about. And he prayed, God, would you remove this cup? From me. And then he goes on to say this. Look at the next slide. Yet, Jesus prays, not what I will, but what you will. I have my own desires, my own preferences, my own comfort to think of, but I'm going to stick to the mission. Jesus prioritized his purpose to the point of submitting to the Father's rescue plan that would involve him going to the cross to die. The gospel of of Jesus, the good news that we proclaim at Faith Church is that, that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Is that good news? The good news is that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. He died the death that you and I deserve, and he rose again to new life. And his new life shows us that in Jesus, you and I can have new life too. Life now, rich, full, meaningful, abundant with him. And yes, life eternal with him as well. Do you know Jesus? Do you follow him? Have you entrusted your life to him, realizing you can't do it on your own, that the crazy busyness is overwhelming, that you're not sure which way to go, and instead realizing that he alone is is Lord and master and rescuer? I urge you to give your life to Jesus, entrust yourself to him so that he can lead you, that he can rescue you, that you can find new life in him. Aren't you thankful that Jesus stuck to the mission? I'm so thankful that Jesus stuck to the mission that he knew what he was called to do. That he came to live with us, that he died, and that he was raised again. Because Jesus prioritized his purpose, I think that you and I can respond out of thankfulness. Because Jesus prioritized his purpose to rescue us from sin and death, we can respond out of thankfulness. And one of the things that we can do responding in thankfulness to God is prioritizing purpose. Prioritizing what he has given us to do so that all of our life, so that everything we do and say, so that we glorify him in all that we do. Father God, would you teach us to prioritize purpose. Father God, 
we have so much in front of us. We have the tyranny of the urgent. We have things that pop up in our, in our minds. We have people that come to us. We have responsibilities. We have a list of tasks. We have a to-do list. God, would you teach us to prioritize purpose? Thank you that Jesus prioritized his mission, that, that Jesus would not be deterred. That while there were many good things Jesus could be doing, he stuck to the one thing you called him to do, to rescue us. Father God, we love you, and we are so thankful that through Jesus you rescue and save us. Father God, we, we need you more than ever. In the midst of our crazy busyness, we know that there are many good things that we could say yes to. We, we see these causes, we see these needs, we know your heart is to, is to be known and, and, and to show love and for us to proclaim the good news. God, but yet remind us that we can't do it all. And instead, remind us of Jesus who fulfilled his purpose to rescue us. And as we look to Jesus and learn from him prioritizing his purpose, teach us how to prioritize what you've given us to do as well. Teach us how to sit at your feet, to hear from you, and to follow you so that all of our lives, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of our words, and all of our actions are all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.